In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Welcome, everybody. It's uh, nice to be here on this very nice, brisk morning, right? I don't know what happened to the weather. It was like very hot yesterday, <laughs> and today it's like freezing. Um, but that's that's the way it is, right? And actually, now it feels a little bit like Christmas, right? Um, many happy returns for the the uh, the fast of the Nativity and uh, the, the the month of Kiak. We started Kiak yesterday. Um, uh, yesterday was the first of Kiak, and um, you know Kiak is a very joyous occasion where we um, rejoice for the coming of the Lord and we glorify the Nativity. We glorify the Incarnation. We glorify the Theotokos, the Mother of God. That's why we chant so many hymns, and that's why we chant, and we have like long praises, and um, really try to enjoy this this beautiful time. And of course, it's also the time of Christmas, so it's like double joy, right? We're in the church, we're rejoicing, and even outside, we're still rejoicing. So very nice time. Um, how many people here have taken like a, a public speech class? Okay, okay, a few people. So when you take when you take a, a published speech class, one of the things they ask you to do, I don't know if, at least when I took it, this is what they asked me to do, is I have to record my speeches. Did you have to do that? Yeah, so you give a speech and, and you have to record and then you have to go and listen to it, right? Why, why? So you can criticize yourself? <laughs> yeah, because when they tell you, you say the word um, 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 like so many times, you don't believe it. But then when you watch yourself, you're like, oh, yeah, I do say um, 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 so many times, right? Or when they tell you, you know, you just blank out in the middle of it, you, you actually, when you see it, you understand, right? Um, so in or this is actually kind of a one-on-one -on -one process when you do that, right? Um, although it's you one-on-one, -on -one, but you are taking time to, like, look at yourself. And usually, you know, th there's somebody who also helps you right, to, to kind of guide you in that. Um, and so um, relationships, you know, whether these relationships um, are with, uh, with our partner or with our parents or with our kids or with our siblings, um, typically relationships, we, we tend to look at them as individual relationships. Like, yes, I may have a relationship with my whole family, but I have a personal relationship with my parents, right? Or I have a personal relationship with my kids. Um, and so we want to talk a little bit about coaching. And, you know, there are many different ways that we can parent as parents, that we can yani, work with our kids. And typically what we do is we instruct. This is the, the typical way, right? We teach them how to do things. We, inst we instruct them. And, um, there is a different approach, which is coaching, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and there are very specific objectives and goals when we do coaching. And in coaching, we are developing potential. So we are seeing whether, you know, if we are the coaches, we are seeing the potential in this person that we are helping, so in our kids. And we are trying to improve the relationship between us and we are also enhancing the performance of the person that we are coaching. So coaching is quite a bit different from just instructing, okay? Um, 
if we look in the Bible, um, the Bible uses many different words for to express teaching. Okay, um, if we the the word didasko, which means to teach, this is the most common one, right? Like the word didaskalia, didaskalia apostolorum, which is the teachings of the apostles. This is one of the very early church writings that the apostles were teaching the catechumens how to become you know christians it's a very important um uh, writing but this is teaching to teach and the word didasco is mentioned 97 times in the scriptures 97 times there's another word uh kateko which means to instruct and that's where the we get the word catechumen from so a catechumen is a person who is new to the faith, who's new to the church, who's being taught, who's being instructed in what the uh, church and the faith is. And that word is mentioned eight times in the scriptures. There's another word, matteo, which is to train disciples. We know like in Coptic, we, ha we have the word mathetes. Mathetes are the disciples. The 12 disciples. Um, there's a few other words. So there's a word for to train and instruct. This is mentioned 13 times. There's a word for to correct and counsel. This is mentioned eight times. There's the word to command or order. This is 32 times. And then there's a paradidu. Uh, uh, this, this means to write down. This is tradition. And this is mentioned 119 times. So how would you hand down tradition, how would you hand down something? This is a very personal relationship, right? Um, if you uh, are aware, um, when we teach hymns in the church, typically nowadays what happens is, you know, we have a, a class and we have students that come and there's a deacon who's teaching them the hymns. And, and this is the normal way, at least nowadays, right? But if we go back in the history of the church, maybe even to the last century, the way that hymns were handed down is you had a ma'allim, a cantor, and he had one or two disciples, and that's it. And he spent very, you know, a, a lot of quality time handing down the hymn to his disciples. You know, I'm, I'm sure you know ma'allim Ibrahim Ayyad, right? Cantor Ibrahim Ayyad, he's, he's the, you know, the, 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 the teacher of, of all of the cantors in the church today. You know, he was taught from Ma'alim Fahim. Ma'alim Fahim was taught from Ma'alim Girgis. And you can, you can kind of follow, you know, the, 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 uh, the handing down to very, you know, very old, very uh, well-taught um, um, uh, cantors. What happened when you have a one-on-one -on -one is, uh, you know, the hymn comes down, you know, number one, very accurately, because you can listen to the person when he makes a mistake, you can correct him. But also you teach the spirit with it, right? I, I spoke with Ma'alim Ibrahim, you know, a few times, um, and he was telling me, you know, when, when Ma'alim Fahim was teaching us, you know, he, he told us this and this and this about the hymn. What happens today actually aside from like sitting in a classroom and learning from, from a teacher, is a lot of people, they just go online and they listen to the hymn, right? And they listen to it 10 times, 15 times, and they get it. I'm not saying they don't get it, but that's all they get is the hymn. They, they don't get the spirit behind it. They don't get 
the history behind it. They don't get, you know, the rights with it. They just get the hymn. And so we lose that. So obviously teaching is, is very central in the plan of God, that he wants to, he wants to teach us and he wants us to teach each, each other. We'll take a look at Moses as an example. Moses, at the beginning of his life, we know, we know his story, right? He, you know, he was raised in, in the palace of Pharaoh, and he grew up as a prince, privileged, rich, right? And so when he faced a problem, what did he do? He relied on his own knowledge, his own experience. So he saw a problem. He saw you know, a man, an Egyptian, beating a Hebrew. So according to his mind, I will eliminate the problem. I'll get rid of this guy. So he was a hothead. He took justice in his own. He wasn't experienced. He was just, you know, he grew up privileged, so that's what he knew. So that's why God told him, I can't work with you like this. You, you, you are not fit for the service like this. So how does God teach him? We, he took him to what we call the desert school. Right, So he took Moses away from the palace, away from the privileges, away from the riches, and he planted him in the middle of nowhere in the desert for how long? 40 years. Moses lived 40 years in the palace and didn't learn anything, really. But God took him and put him in the desert for 40 years to be able to make him a leader, to be able to make him somebody who can deal with the people. Imagine if Moses led the Israelites with the same mentality that he had when he was in the palace, and when people started to rebel against him, what would he do? He'd probably kill them. Like, I said it, so, but that's not the way that God wanted him. So the effect of this coaching, the effect that God took him and put him in the desert for 40 years, slowly cooking him, you know, you know like a slow cooker, like a giving him time, 40 years, he forgot about the palace, he forgot about all the things that he had learned, and now he began to learn how to deal with sheep and how to be a shepherd. A completely different life, completely different person. We read in the book of, of Numbers chapter 12, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. This is the same guy who killed the Egyptian when he saw a problem. Now he became very humble and very patient. So we see the, the change in Moses when he was um, taught and when he was instructed and when he was coached by God. And, and Moses didn't, like even after the 40 years, he was still you know, not, not very ready. We, we see the um, ar argument he had with God when he appeared to him in the burning bush and he's like, I want you to lead the people. No, I don't want to go. Okay, if I go, you know, so there was a little bit of argument. And if you read it carefully, it's towards the end, it says, then, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Moses. You know, like, <laughs> you know, your child comes to you and he says, I want to do this. And you say, no, that's not good for you. Uh, but I want to do this. No. Uh, okay, what if, what if I do that? And then at the end, you're like, oh, you know, okay. I already told you, right? <laughs> so this is exactly what was happening there. So still Moses needed a little bit more time, but he was beginning to see it. After Moses became this good leader, Joshua, his disciple, started to, uh, to, to be taught by Moses. And we see that Joshua was following Moses everywhere he went. Again, this is the coaching. 
So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So we see in Joshua that, you know, he stayed in the tabernacle and he waited for Moses every time Moses would come. Now, Joshua didn't go into the tabernacle. At that time, you know, only Moses was really the high priest, even though Aaron was the high priest. But it was only Moses who would speak, you know, to God face to face. Joshua knew his place, that he was the disciple. He cannot go inside with Moses like he does, but he waited for him, always waiting at the tabernacle. And then, of course, Moses would come out, and the first person he meets is Joshua. So he teaches him. God told us to do this, and God wants us to do this. So Joshua learned directly from Moses by praying with him every time he went to the tabernacle, by fighting alongside with him. When we saw, for example, when Moses was standing on, on the mountain and you know praying, and Joshua was down there leading the people against the Amalekites, by eating with him, by living with him, by sitting at his feet, by observing him. This is how Joshua became the great leader who was able to take the people of Israel into the promised land. You know, I'm sure that, you know, Joshua was frightened of this responsibility. But that's why, you know, God told him, do not be afraid, just like I was with Moses, I will be with you. Because you learned from Moses whom I taught. And we also see some examples when Moses was coaching and correcting Joshua. We see, um, you know, Joshua at one point, he found some people who were prophesying. And so he went to Moses and said, you know, some people are doing your work. They're prophesying. Should I stop them? And Moses said, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. The, the font is a little bit difficult to read, right? Because of the blue. Yeah. So what's happening here? Joshua made a mistake. Joshua is like, Moses, I, I don't think this is right. Do you want me to go do something about it? And Moses is like, no. You know, you, you're, you're missing the point, right? So he's teaching him. He's, he's instructing him. And at the end of his life, Moses coaches Joshua, and he tells him, be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. I want to pause here for just a second. So what do we see? We see that, first of all, it's okay to make mistakes, right? Joshua made a mistake. It's not the only one, but it's one of the ones that, that was recorded. Moses took the opportunity to teach him, okay? So it's okay for our kids to make mistakes. If we are there to coach them, we can help them. And, uh, you know, I'll mention this now and I'll mention it again. It's better to let them make mistakes at home than to let them make mistakes outside, right? So... Let them make the mistakes at home when you are able to teach them, when you are able to guide them, when you are able to correct them. Before they go out to college and they're on their own and they make a mistake, and who, who are they going to go to when they make a mistake at that age? Their friends, which is the worst thing, right? It's the worst thing. Um, I remember um, uh, Amba Angelos, if, if you know him or you know of him, he's the 
the, the Bishop of um, London, um, he was telling us one time, um, you know, that the, the youth come to him, you know, with problems and questions and things like that. And he would tell them, you know what? Do whatever you want. Make whatever mistakes you want, but do not give each other advice. Like, any mistake you, you make, come to me and I can fix it. But if you go to each other, I cannot fix that because this is this is a disaster. So do whatever you want, but never give each other advice. So this is the worst thing we can do, send our kids off to like college and they haven't had the experience to come and ask us. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. That's what the Lord told the disciples. And I want to focus on, on the word out here, I send you out. I send you out, that means they were with him, right? So he's sending them out, like we send our kids out to college, right? But then what happened? They came back to him and they reported to him. And this is what we want. We want to teach our kids that it's okay, you can go, but come back and tell me when, when there's something wrong. When they returned, they reported their progress to him and he corrected them as necessary. Like he said, nevertheless, you know, they were, they were happy. They're like, oh, Lord, even the demons, you know, listen to us and we are able to cast them out. And he said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Correction here. You think that this is a big, th you know, a great thing? No. Let me point you to what is actually great. And then they asked him, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. So here, again, there's a situation where they, they don't know what happened or they think they made a mistake. So they come and they ask, and he gives them instructions. And he taught them by many parables, and then explained these parables. And this is important. Sometimes, you know, something we tell our children is, is, is too high for them to get it. So we have to give it to them in a way that they can understand. The Lord very often spoke to the multitude in parables, because that's what they understood. And if we look at the parables of the Lord, they are all like life-related. Like he wasn't telling them, there's a man on the moon and there's a spaceship and things they can't understand. Okay? He was telling them there's a farmer who went out to farm. Yes, they can understand that because they're all farmers. The, the kingdom of heaven is like a net cast. Okay? They understand that because they're fishermen. So he was using what they understand, things from their daily life, to try to explain to them the things. He spent time with them. This is another important thing that we need to spend time with our, with our children. After the resurrection, it says, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So actually, we may wonder, why did the Lord stay 40 days after his resurrection until he ascended? He could have ascended right away, right? He could have ascended, you know, when he rose from the tomb, he could have ascended right away. No, he wanted to spend time with the people who are going to convert the whole world. So he spent 40 days teaching them instructing them. I wish, you know, one of the evangelists would have recorded to us what the Lord said during those 40 days. And maybe some of the, the writings of like the, the what I mentioned, the Scalia came from some of those things, but the Lord was teaching them about the kingdom of heaven for 40 days. And because now they are going to be, you know, going out on their own. After his ascension, he commissioned them not to start the ministry until he sends them the Holy Spirit to guide them and to coach them. Again, coaching is very important. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And so what was the result? 
the result was very effective ministry, very e effective service. Twelve uneducated fishermen converted the whole world. Today, we may have like 12 servants and they cannot convert one, one child in Sunday school. But 12 well-trained, well-coached disciples by the Lord and by the Holy Spirit were able to, to convert the entire planet to Christianity. We see another uh, example in, in the story of St. Paul and St. Timothy. Um, St. Timothy, his, his father was Greek and his mother was a Jew. And St. Paul visited their city and um, he converted them, he baptized them, and then St. Timothy became his disciple. And so St. Paul started to coach him and he took him with him on the ministry and he took him with him as far as Corinth. It says, behold, there was a, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, take him with him. And he took him and circumcised him. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep. So this is another way of coaching is you do it and he does it with you and he sees what you are doing and he learns that way. I remember I was speaking to Amba Yusuf one time and we were talking, Yanni, about um, you know ordinations and, and things like that. And he told me when he was first ordained as a bishop, um, he, Pope Shenouda kept him, Pope Shenouda already knew what he was gonna do with him. You know, Pope Shenouda always had like the long-term plan in his mind. So he knew that he was going to send Bishop Yusuf to be you know, serving in, the, in our diocese here in, in Southern United States. But after he ordained him, for one whole year, he kept him with him in Egypt as his secretary, as part of his secretary. And Amba Yusuf was telling me, he said, Pope Shenouda was doing everything. Like, he didn't need me. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't contributing much. But during that year, I learned so much from Pope Shenouda, seeing how he deals with things, that until today, and this discussion happened recently, until today, when I come upon a situation, I think back, how did Pope Shenouda handle that situation? And I use that, you know, that experience to handle the situation. I, it's, it's very difficult when like we ordain a priest and just send him into a church all by himself, right? Without, without much support. And then he has to like fend for himself. He has to figure out things on his, on his own. But look at the difference when we you know, ordain a priest and we put him you know, with an older priest for a year, for example, and he learns from him. Or we ordain a bishop and he stays with the Pope for a year learning from him. This is coaching. So the, the road of coaching, there are um, like five, you know, five steps. Encouragement, this is the first step. Praising the potential, and this, this is the, the road of coaching that St. Paul you know, used with, with St. Timothy. He praised the potential in his faith which he acquired from his family, and he told him, I know the, the, the faith that is in you that was also in your mother and in your grandmother. So first thing, he sees something good and he, he encourages him about it. And then guidance, he takes Timothy with him on his missionary trips. And then representation, he gives him some more responsibilities by leaving him with some other people th that are also a little bit more experienced, uh, like Silas. And then the next step is delegation. 
he sends him alone to Macedonia and Corinth. And then finally, appointment, he ordains him the bishop of Ephesus. So we, st we, you know, we take the child that we are trying to coach and we encourage him. We find the good things that he has, the good, qu the good qualities, and, and we praise that. We, we encourage that. That's what the Lord, by the way, did with the Samaritan woman. That's how he was able to win the Samaritan woman, right? Most people saw the Samaritan woman as a what? As a sinner, right? And that's why she was ashamed. That's why she went to fill the, the, the jar in the middle of the afternoon S because this is very hot and so people would not be in the, in the way. So she can go without people bothering her because obviously when she went in the morning, people saw her and they kept on saying, you sinful woman and whatnot. If the Lord came to the, you know, to the, to the well and said, hey, sinful woman, give me water, <laughs> you know, that's it. It's the end of it. But instead he said, he told her what? You have spoken well. You have spoken the truth that you said you have no husband. He, he found the one thing that, that, that she did that was good, even though everything else was not good. But he took the one thing and he praised it. And because he did that, he was able to win her. So sometimes with our kids, they're messing up everything, right? And <laughs> you, you say, how can I praise them? Well, find the one little thing that, that they're doing right. Maybe, you know, they're, I don't know, they're writing on the wall with crayons and stuff like that, right? And you're going crazy, like, <laughs> what am I going to do with this? If you start yelling at them, of course, you know, they're going to run away, they're going to hide. But maybe if we say, oh, wow, you're, you're using the colors very well. Look, you're matching the, the red with the green or whatever. And you praise something. Then they'll listen to you. And then you say, okay, now that we've done, let's try to clean up or something. And then we give them guidance. We give them guidance. We, we, we give them instruction. So yes, I said, you know, coaching is, is better than instruction, but it also includes instruction. Um, representation, we give them more responsibility. And usually when we give kids responsibilities, they, you know, they tend to pay more attention. That's why like in the church, we ordain young deacons and we give them the responsibility of like holding the candle when the gospel is being read. It's a very small thing. Actually, we don't need them. We can just put candles here and just light them and that's it. It'll be the end of it. And it actually will be neater and more efficient and everything like that. But by, by taking two children and have them stand there and they're holding the candle and they're looking at the candle, making sure, you know, it doesn't burn the, 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 the pulpit or something like that. Yeah, they are taking it very seriously. Um, when we tell them to like take care of the water, and of course this is always a mess and you've got like 10 kids fighting to take care of the water, right? Why? Because they want to do something, right? And, and, and they're happy if as you walk by and you say, you're doing a good job, right? They're, you know, you're validating what they're doing. Um, and then, um, you know, delegation. We give them um, responsibilities, you know, smaller responsibilities that they can do on their own, okay? There's something yani, important to be said about delegation here, and, and this applies, of course, to kids, but even applies to service, applies to even the workplace. Delegation doesn't mean, so there are two mistakes that people typically do with delegation. The first mistake is they delegate, and then they, they you know, they oversee. They don't let the person actually do the work, right? 
So they, you know, you, you tell them, for example, I want you to straighten up the chairs in the church. Okay, you delegate a task to them. And then as they're straightening, you're like standing next, no, 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 do it like this, no, do it like this, no, no. Uh, so you, you're not giving him room to do the work, right? So where's the delegation? That's, that's the first mistake. The second mistake is I, I give him the task and I just go away. I disappear. So he has no support. He doesn't know, is, should the chairs be facing this way or that way or, you know? So the proper way to delegate is you give, first you start with something small, and then you, you supervise, but not be overbearing, right? So you give him a chance to do the work, and then you check up on him. Is everything good? Do you, do you need help? You let, th you, know, you let them report back to you. I've, I've finished the task. Okay, let's go take a look at it. Um, and that's what gives them confidence. So then the next time, okay, I know that you know how to do the chairs now, so can you go do it again? And um, you know, I'll be back in a bit. Right, so maybe the first time I check on him a few times, the second time I give him more space, uh, the third time, okay, go to the chairs. I know you could do it. You know, appointment. Now you're the you're the chairs person, right? <laughs> you're responsible for always taking care of the chairs in the church, and he'll be very happy with that. Um, so, the importance of a coach. The importance of a coach. This uh, statement is is very very true. We can only advance so far on our own. We can only advance so far on our own because we only have limited knowledge, we only have limited experience. So we can only advance so far on our own. But with a coach, we can go further and faster, okay? It is impossible to maximize your potential without a coach. Again, it is impossible to maximize our potential without a coach. It, it's not going to happen. Without that input from somebody seeing the big picture and giving you advice, we will never be able to be as good as we potentially could be. And we look, you know, at the, at the world of sports for, for, you know, for information about this. Have you ever seen an athlete that doesn't have a coach? like a football player and he's just on his own without a coach? No. Hey, he could be the best football player in the world, but he still has a coach. Um, and with, with sports and with, uh, with coaches, I, yeah, I find something very interesting. The obedience to the coaches is, is like unmatched. And the word of the coach is just like, you know, that's it. Like if the coach says we're going to do this, we don't usually find the players arguing with him. Why do we have to do it this way? I want to do it my own way. Why do we have to play as a, as a team? I'm, I'm the best player. I just want to do it. No, we don't see that. You know, and, and we see that the athletes, they go to, hey, coach, what, what should we do next? Right? Wh what do you want us to do? You know, the coach is the one who, who does like the game plan. Okay, I want you guys to do this, and you run here, and you go there. And, and typically that happens like during the game, right? They take a timeout. And within like a few seconds, they're, they're discussing it and they're done. Again, we've never seen, you know, players argue with the coach. No, I don't want to do it that way. <laughs> but we do that with ourselves and we definitely do it with God. Like, we don't want God to coach us. Or we want him to coach us the way that we want him to do it, right? So, like, we stand up and pray and we say, 
God, I have a problem and I need your help. Up to here, we're good. God, I have a problem, I need your help. And then we continue. But this is the way that it needs to be resolved, God. Okay, listen up. I'm going to tell you exactly how. I'm going to give you the details, okay? It's one, two, three. Please, please don't mess it up. You know, don't do two before one. No, I want one, two, three like that. And if you don't do it this way, it's not going to work. So what, what, what are we doing? We're making God our puppet, right? We are the ones who are trying to drive, and but we want him because, you know, some of these things are beyond our capabilities. So it's like, you know, God, you know, I know you could do it, right? So just do it, you know. But this is not the way it works. And it definitely, th that's not the way it works in, in athletics. Um, we typically measure ourselves to the people around us, right? And usually, kids, they compare themselves to who? Other kids. Typically who? Their friends. That's the worst thing. Uh, their siblings, that's also not very good. Their cousins, especially in, in the Egyptian culture, right? Uh, you know, your cousin is, is an A student. What's wrong with you, right? Um, your cousin went to this college. How come you can't go to this college, right? It's, it's um, uh, frustrating. But if we accept that this is the way kids behave, okay, so the kids will always, like, measure themselves against the people that are close to them, right? Their friends, their, si their brothers. Their so if I, as a parent, become their friend, now they're going to measure themselves against me, okay? If I become my child's friend to the point that he or she can confide, confide in me and can tell me the problems and can tell me what's going on, then... Instead of, you know, when they see something happen, when they have a problem, instead of looking at how their friends are handling it, they will look at how their parents are handling it. And actually, kids do that intuitively. They don't even know, but they do it. You know, it's, it's true that kids who smoke have parents who smoke, right? We've never seen a, a, you know, a man sit with his son, let me teach you how to smoke a cigarette. No, it doesn't happen. And actually, most parents, they, they don't want their kids to smoke, but they're doing it, and so their kids see it, and so they imitate them, even intuitively, even they don't, they don't know what they're doing. Parents who drink have kids who drink. Parents who screw up, mess up, have kids, their kids will also mess up, just like that. So if these people are the coaches if we become the coaches, then the performance will be evaluated against our strength, if we become the kids' coaches. A coach will know what your capabilities are and push you to the limit. So when we become our children's coaches and we see that, you know, we, we know their potential is this much, but they're only trying this little, we can push them, go a little bit further, go a little bit further. I know you could do it. We encourage them, and they can do it. You know the story of uh, King Rehoboam, the son of King Solomon? So King Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. We know this, right? When he died, his son Rehoboam became king. Now his son was not wise like him. After he took the throne, the elders of the people, they came to him and they said, O king, um, 
you know, your father was, was very strict and he was very, um, you know, he laid many um, heavy burdens on us. And we ask you to just lighten the load a little bit. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you lighten the load, you know, we can serve you. We will be your servants forever. And so he said, okay, let me think about it. And then he consulted with who? His friends, the youth, right? And he said, you know, the people came to me and they told me to lighten the load. And I checked with the elders and the elders said, yes, lighten the load. You'll make the people happy and they'll be your servants. And, you know, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll happily serve you as the king. What do you think his friends said? You think their friends said it's a great idea? Their friends said, are you crazy? You are the king. You know, you tell them that if you think my father was strict, wait until you see what I'm going to do to you. And, and they told him, you tell them, my father disciplined you with, uh, with, with staffs, and I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. You tell them, right? You are the king. Don't listen to these old men that they don't know what they're talking about. And so, of course, the people came back and they said, King, you know, what is your, you know, what's your feedback? And he said exactly what his friends told him. So what was the result? The kingdom split. They said, we don't want to serve you. And he lost, out of 12 tribes, he lost 10 tribes. Only two tribes remained with him. So he lost the kingdom because of his arrogance and because he did not listen to the coaching of those who are more experienced than him and instead he listened to his friends. That's why we say the worst thing that kids can do is listen to each other. A coach doesn't necessarily need to be more skilled than the one who, who he's, he's coaching. Why is this important? We don't have to be perfect parents, right? Like, you know, you say, um, I would like my son or my daughter to, to be, you know, a good deacon, but I'm not a deacon. It's okay. Just because you're not a deacon doesn't mean that you can't help your son become a deacon, okay? Um, we see many athletes who are doing things that their coaches are not able to do. You know, football players or, you know, um, athletes in swimming teams or people who run races, marathons. Their coaches cannot do what they're doing, but they can coach them still. They can teach them. They can tell them how to, um, you know, how to accomplish this. So what is the requirement here? The requirement is not that I can do this, so I'm going to teach you how to do it. No, the requirement is the power of observation, guidance, and encouragement. Observation. I can see the bigger picture. A lot of times, you know, we are focused, you know, we're tunnel visioned on, on the problem, right? We don't see the big picture. But we need somebody to step back and see the whole picture and tell us, you know, here's what's going on. Um, guidance. Give us advice. Give us guidance on what, what we need to do. And most importantly, encouragement. I know you can do it. I know you've, you know, you've had a rough um, yeah, childhood. I know you've had a rough, like St. Paul with, with St. Timothy. You know, his father was Greek, and so actually, you know, he forbid him from getting circumcised. That's why St. Paul had to circumcise him when he was a youth. What does that mean? I mean, we don't have a whole lot of information about, actually, we don't have any information about St. Timothy's father other than he, than he was Greek. But we can imagine that he probably made 
you know, uh, make it, made it very difficult for his mother to teach him the Jewish traditions and the laws and the rites, and she probably had to sneak him to get him to the temple and things like that. So, but here, even though, you know, she was not a rabbi or anything, she still was able to encourage him and to guide him. How is coaching different? This is, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll take a few minutes to, to talk about this because there are different, you know, techniques of instructing and we just want to compare three of them. So how is coaching different from counseling? Counseling, this is like when you go to a counselor and, you know, you tell them your problems, like a therapist, for example, and they, they, they give you some advice. So counseling is resolving issues of the past to operate more effectively in the present, right? Tell me what happened. Tell me about your childhood so we can see how to help you now. Coaching is not so much looking at the past, but it's looking at the present, what's happening now. Assesses the present to operate more effectively in the future. So I'm trying to help him for his future, not just you know, the past and the present, but I want to look at the future. Consulting is another technique. What is consulting? Short-term engagement to solve a specific problem. You know, like at work, you hire a consultant, an expert. He comes in, he does a specific job, and then he leaves. Like, you know, for example, if, I don't know, yeah, you're trying to figure out, uh, like in, in, in the world of oil and gas, for example, we're trying to figure out if there's oil in this, in this area, right? So we don't have the expertise for this. So we hire a consultant. He comes in with his equipment, and he does a bunch of tests, and then he gives us a report, and then he leaves. He's done his job. But coaching is not looking at the you know, short term, but at the long term, medium and long term engagement to focus on performance enhancements. What can I do or what can I help you with for the future again? What about mentoring? Mentoring is a good thing right? This is like an older, more experienced person who provides advice and support to the younger, less experienced individual. Nothing wrong with that. And actually, coaching encompasses mentoring. So mentoring is part of coaching. But with coaching, you have the added benefit of the coach taking initiative to provide the information and is on the scene watching and guiding. So uh, we'll take a, like three very, very small examples of, of these three, just so we can yani, um, make it a little bit more clearer. So in counseling, as we said, like you go to a counselor, and typically what do they say? Tell me about your childhood, right? Let's start from there. Uh, of course, this is a technique so that you can come back to therapy like a hundred million times, right? Okay, so last time we, we stopped when you were three years old. Okay, so let's continue. Okay, now we're at five years old. So after a year, <laughs> we're going to reach the present, okay? But with coaching, you're talking about something that's happening now. Like, okay, you're trying to coach your, your son how to play soccer. So what is the, the present problem now? He doesn't know how to kick the ball. I'm not going to ask him, when you were two years old, when you were a toddler, did anybody give you a ball to try to kick it around? That's, okay, that's history. It's, it's not very relevant to right now. Right now, show me how you are kicking the ball. Let's see how we can improve that. With consulting, you know, 
a child may go to his parents and say, I'm having a problem with, with, with this math, with this algebra, with this geometry, whatever. So can you show me how to solve this, this problem? This is consulting. So the parent can come he sa and he says, yes, you know, you take the, the hypotenuse and you multiply it by whatever and the diameter and this and that and you'll get the answer. Okay, good. I've shown him how to solve this problem. This is consulting. Then I go away. <laughs> then he opens, you know, he flips the page and there's another problem. And it's different. It's not exactly the same. So now, now he's stuck again, right? So now he has to hire the consultant again. Hey, dad, come back. I have another problem. With coaching, I want to show him how to improve his math skills. Big difference between the two, right? In, in the first situation, I'm helping him solve a problem and I'm going away. Call me when you, when you have another issue. In the, se in the second situation, okay, let's see how we can help you understand this better so that you don't have to keep calling me every five minutes because if, if he keeps calling me every five minutes, that means he didn't get it, right? I do that with my kids. You know, my, my, my kids, they come to me and they say, I, I don't understand this problem. And what are they expecting? They're expecting me to say, well, multiply these two numbers together and you get the answer. That's what they're expecting. What do I do? Where is the material that you learned this from? Uh, I, I don't know. Well, go find out. Go, you know, get your book or get your ebook or whatever it is and find out how to do this type of problem. So now they get it and now we look at it together and I explain it. And I said, you understand? Yes. Okay, let's see if you really understand. Let's solve this problem together that you came to me with. So we do it together. And of course, she doesn't do it right and I have to correct her and that's okay. We finally f solved the, 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 the question. Good. Now let me give you another question. It's not even in the book, right? Here, try to solve this one. And she'll get stuck in it and we'll work on it some more. Okay, you got it? Yes, I got it. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, let's do this other problem. And we do three, four of them. Okay, none of them are in the book. We're, we're, we're off we're outside the realm of consulting now, right? We are in, this in the realm of coaching. Now do you understand? After four or five of them, then she gets it. Now we, we have improved the skill. We haven't just you know, answered the question. In mentoring, okay? If, if we say, for example, you know, going to church and, and, and worshiping. So mentoring would be, for example, like grandpa sitting with his grandson and telling him when we go to church, you know, we enter quietly, we make the sign of the cross, we walk up to the altar, we um, bow down, we kiss the icons, and then we go sit in our, in our seats quietly. That's good. This is mentoring. What is coaching? Come with me, my son. Let's go to the church. Let's walk into the church quietly. Let's make the sign of the cross. Let's bow in front of the altar. Let's sit down and pray. Okay? Big difference. So what is the coach's job? So now, you know, we want to all be coaches for our kids. So what is the coach's three things? To observe, observe, to instruct, and to inspire. Observe, instruct, and inspire. We'll talk about these. And I believe this is yeah, going to be the last major point. So the first thing is to observe. And 
in order for us to coach, we must observe. You're going to say, well, of course, yeah, we must observe. What's the big deal? No, it is a big deal. It's more difficult than you think it is to, to observe. First of all, what is, what is the, the initial skill or the initial action that I have to do in order to observe? What do you think? Before that, something, something very basic that I'm willing to bet most of us don't even consider. Mm -hmm. More than that, even more basic than that. Yes, but even more basic than that. If I am observing, that means I am there. I am present. I cannot observe if I am in the other room. I cannot observe if I'm at work. I cannot observe if I'm traveling the country, right? In order to observe, I have to be there. That's the most basic thing. How can I observe if I'm not even there, right? And then the person may also not be very comfortable that I'm observing and I'm, I'm, I'm watching what they're doing. So it does take some skill. Again, you don't want to be overbearing, but you need to see, you need to observe in order to help. We are being observed all the time. We, we may not even know it. And, you know, people are usually passing judgment on what we're doing, whether we like it or not. At work, at school, in church, Sunday school, right? So if we already know this, and if we can get our kids to understand that you're being observed all the time by your friends in school, by your teachers. So instead of being observed by strangers, why don't you hand that responsibility to somebody that you trust, like your parents, and let them observe you. And here, when we observe, we observe and judge objectively, right? With the intent of what? To criticize? No, to help. So most of the other people that are observing us are criticizing. You're doing this wrong, right? You're, 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 you're chanting wrong. You're studying wrong. You're dressing wrong. You're walking wrong. This is all criticism. But the, the observation that's being made by the coach here is, yes, you're dressing wrong, so let me show you how to dress. Let me show you how to sing. Let me show you how to stand you know, in, in with dignity. And so it puts us more at ease that we understand now that we are being observed for the purpose of improvement, not for the purpose of criticism. So that was the first point, is observing. The second job is instructing. So after we see what's going on, now we need to help them. We need to instruct them. Good coaches are good teachers, but not all the good teachers are good coaches. Okay. A good coach will help you close the gap between your potential and your performance. I mentioned this already. We see our kids, this is their potential, but their performance is only this big, right? Our job is to instruct them so that they can push their uh, performance to meet their potential. I know you can do much better than that. I know. Encouragement. Let me show you how. Let me show you how to think about this math problem instead of just trying to solve this problem, but how to think about it. 
let me show you how to be good when you go to church and enjoy it rather than, go, hey, go to church, right? Um, and this may be presenting the harsh truth, and some people don't like to hear that, but yeah, we have to do that. If you are looking for somebody to say that you are doing a great job each time, don't look for a coach, right? Yes, the coach will encourage. That's part of their job. But if they just encourage, 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 then what? No, they have to tell you when you do something wrong, this is not right. But they don't stop there. No, this is not right. Let me show you how to do it right. So this is how we can help our kids, you know, meet their potential, not just stay at their performance. So, the, so our job as a coach is to point out the challenges, and the main focus is to help improve. So in order to help the kids improve, we have to do the hard part, which is showing them their weakness. Again, but we don't stop there. If we just stop there, then we are all like all their friends who are just criticizing them. But we have to show them their weakness, and we have to show them how to um, you know, um, uh, fix it how to improve it. So the first job of the coach was what? Observe. The second job was? Instruct. The third job is to inspire, to encourage. I like this, this quote, a leader takes people where they want to go, okay? A great leader takes people where they don't want to be, don't want to go, but ought to be. They don't want to go there because it's difficult. Like running a marathon. I am happy just running one mile. Actually, me, I, I'm, I don't even run one mile. If, you know, if, I, if I run from here to the parking lot, that's good. Okay? <laughs> that's my potential. Okay? But if somebody has the potential and they're like, okay, I, I, I'd like to run a marathon, but I can only do a mile. That's fine. We start with the mile. And then we see what is their potential. Can they do more? Yes, they can do more. But they're afraid. They're not, they're not comfortable. They're not happy. But I have to push them. So a good leader will lead them to the mile because that's what they want. A great leader will lead them to the second mile because that's where they ought to be. They have the potential to run two miles, but they're stopping at one mile because that's where they're comfortable. A good coach will be able to portray an image for you to aspire towards. I know you could run two miles. I know you can do this. So let's try it. And he will point you in the direction of the successful future. And he'll coach to your potential, again, not to your performance. Important to realize the difference between the two. Your performance is what you're doing. Your potential is what you could do. So as a good coach, or as a, as a good coach, yeah, I can coach him to his performance, and I can make sure he's doing great performance. That's, that's a good coach. A great coach, I can coach him to the, his potential, to his full potential. Lear what did the Lord say? Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Learn from me. So the Lord here is, is the coach, and he's telling us, I am perfect, so learn to be perfect like me, right? This is your potential. Of course, this is a potential we'll never reach, right? We'll never be, you know, like the Lord, for sure. But if we stay within our experience, within our expectation, then we will never 
reach towards you know, the potential, right? We take something like, you know, the Lord said that men ought to pray at all times. Okay, this is, this is the potential, life of prayer, that we should pray all the time. My experience is at night before I sleep. This is, this is my, um, you know, my experience. This is, this is what I can do or what I think I can do. If I just stop there, I will never reach that potential to pray incessantly, to pray all the time. But if I have a coach like Confession Father, and, and he says, why don't we add Agbeya prayer in the morning? So now he's pushing the potential, right? So now I pray in the morning and in the evening. Great, now I'm happy. I think I've made it, right? And then he comes back and he says, okay, now let's add something in the middle, right? Let's, let's, let's pray the um, uh, lunchtime. Why don't we pray like the six-hour prayer? I'm, I'm not comfortable with that because now you're taken away from my time, right? But if I listen, so we go back to that the coach's word is absolute, right? We listen. Okay, fine, I will do it. Little by little, I'll find myself praying more and more and more and trying to reach that potential. Again, with spirituality, I may not be able to reach that potential here on earth, but that's what we're going to do in heaven. So the benefits to, the, to us as, as uh, sorry, the benefits to the people that we are coaching is developing the knowledge, the skills, having a safe place to explore and grow in. Again, let's let our kids make the mistakes at home, right, before they make it outside. Attaining the value of talking issues through with a more experienced leader. I'd rather my son or my daughter come and tell me the problem than go tell it to his friends. Developing an ongoing relationship with the coach who can help you through your journey and getting an independent view of your situation and reducing the stress. So all of these are the benefits that our kids would gain if we coach them, if we take this approach. And of course, there are benefits to us as coaches. Um, developing our skills in coaching, gaining the rewards of seeing the person that we are coaching grow. This is a great reward. I see my son, you know, becoming better than me. This is every parent's dream. I, my, my kids, you know, sometimes they make fun of me and, and they say, uh, well, we know how to do this better than you. And I'm like, I'm very happy. <laughs> like, I'm happy you could do it better than me. Uh, being challenged and pushing yourself in the process of helping someone. Reflecting on your own learnings as you share with your disciple and developing and modifying your leadership of others. So all of these are benefits to us as coaches. <coughs> so just to wrap up and to summarize, the importance of coaching and coaching our, our children. We need somebody to help us, to, uh, uh, like, why, why is it important to coach? Because they need someone to help them progress and instruct and encourage. And I said this before and I'll say it again. It is impossible to maximize your potential without a coach. Without a coach, we can never reach our potential. Without a coach, our children will not be able to reach their potential. A good coach will help you close the gap between your potential and your performance. We talked about this. The three jobs of the coach. What's the first one? Observe. The second one? Instruct. And the third one? Inspire. Observe, instruct, inspire. The road to coaching 
is built on five steps. And we talked about that with St. Paul and his disciple Timothy. Encouragement, guidance, representation, delegation, and appointment. And coaching is different from counseling, different from consulting, and differing, different from mentoring, and it surpasses all of those models. And glory be to God forever, amen. Any questions? Thank you. I think uh, are there some workshops or something? Yeah, it's workshop right now. Safra, are you leading that? Yes. Where? Here. Uh, here? Okay. Should I keep recording? <laughs> um, so we only have till 12. So originally we were going to just break out into groups, but I think we could do this as one giant group uh, to save time. Uh, so can I flip pieces of this? Can I get back? Yeah, this one? Okay, perfect. Okay, so Uncle mentioned three different examples biblically of coaching. Does anyone remember? Quiz time. <laughs> Moses and jo Joshua was one. Timothy and St. Paul. St. Timothy and St. Paul. Jesus and his disciples. There's a fourth one, though, in the very beginning. Yes. Was there not Moses? Oh, well, I was thinking this one, where Moses was coached by God, right? Um, so Moses himself. So we're going to go through this. So Uncle talked about how each of these examples were coaching, right? But I want to go through one at a time and see how we would have done it or what it would have looked like if it wasn't coaching and if it was one of these three. So if it was Moses and God, right? So Moses killed the Hebrew man or killed the Egyptian, right? And then ran, right? And then God meets him again in the desert, right? What would have been our natural, like, instinct? It wouldn't have been coaching. Well, I, I wouldn't have coached. Like, he just killed a man, right? What would have been our natural response? 40 years later, right? And he's dealing with it, right? So what would, it, what would have our response been? Like, he killed a man, 40 years later, we meet this man. What would we have done? Hmm? judge them, not want to go back, right? I would say it's more counseling. That's when, like, what happened, <laughs> right? Tell me. Tell me why you felt this was necessary, right? Tell me how we got here, right? And we would have been stuck in the past, right? Um, but instead, what does God do? He pushes them. He's like, keep going, right? Go, into the, go back to Egypt. Bring my people, Right. Um, so an example is if your kid grows up, right, because I know everyone has young kids now, but if you have kids that are like eighth grade going into high school, right, and if they start getting into fights or if they start fighting with their friends, not physical fights, but they start losing friendships, right, how do we not get stuck in the counseling phase of like how did we get here and how do we coach them to have better friendships or to hang handle their emotions better. 
So Amanda said, offer better solutions um, because they'll probably be faced with that situation again. What else? It's good, like Uncle said, it's, I mean, I think to a certain extent, it's good to know why they decided that was the path to take, right? But we don't want to get stuck in the past, right? So how do we equip them to keep, to go back, right? Like Moses went back to Egypt. How do we equip them to go back and keep moving? Because they have to go back to school. <laughs> Rami's like, you're going back. <laughs> you better figure it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Right. So tell me about when you, like, take a day, right? So if your friend says something, take a day. Just come home. Let's talk about it have a game plan, go back. Let's not react right then and there, right? So we're both entering this. I think it all, like me being a, someone's kid, I think it helped when my mom like shares what she does, right? To calm herself down, right? Because he, like he said, we imitate our parents, right? And so now I do the same thing my mom does, which is take a deep breath, like, right? Count to 10, do all those things. Um, okay, moving into the next one. So now Mo Moses and Joshua, which you'll go back. Right, so Moses is this older man. Now he's like 80-something years old. He's moving into the desert, right? And Joshua kind of is now following him, right? And later on, after Moses passes, Joshua is the one who takes over, right? And so this is like the example of the grandfather, right, and the son, right? Like you're passing on knowledge. You're preparing them for the next one, right? So on this one, how do we, so the example I had, this is more like, Mentoring. So how would it have looked different if all Moses did was mentor and not coach? How would that have been different for Joshua when he took over? Mm. Right. So Joshua, because Joshua goes and leads the people into the promised land, right? And they're complaining to him, right? The Israelites have always been complaining, right? And they are now complaining to him. So if he didn't walk with Moses and see how he handled each one of their complaints, and he went up the mountain with them, with him, right? So if he doesn't see any of these things, he's kind of <laughs> stuck there with his own his own issues, right? And he's going to try and figure this out for the first time when, like, for all the book of Exodus, Moses was already doing this, right? Um, so this is like, I think, because I know all of y'all, right, all these parents are in church. Like, y'all all serve in some way, even if it's bringing your kids and making them stand here. That's a huge service. Um, so how do we prepare our kids to be involved in church? Not in a way of like, hey, here's how you do it and here's how I did it, right? But how can we start now, especially when they get into like third, fourth grade, right? Second grade even, right? To take responsibilities. How do we coach them into that instead of just passing on something? By doing it. By serving ourselves. What else? 
by ab- by observing what they're good at, kind of like he was suggesting, like look at what your kid is good at, um, like pick on those things to mm-hmm. win them over and go for that. Like whatever they're good at, like why don't you use that towards the church or towards God or, you know, in whatever service and capacity mm-hmm. that they can do. And the same, say that again. Struck inspire. Right. I think the same thing happens at home. So like my mom would try to teach me to cook and all I've ever learned is to cut vegetables because that was it. Like that was my one task, <laughs> just cut vegetables. And then if I try to do anything more, it's like, no, you can't do that. And now I, I have no idea how to cook, <laughs> right? I'm not blaming her, right? But I think you have to like bring them with you, right? Like when you're cooking, bring them into the kitchen or when you're fixing your car or mowing, whatever you're doing, right? Bring them with you and do it with them, right? Instead of just saying, hey, I once fixed a tire, go fix a tire, right? That happened to me. I was in college. I had no idea how to fix a tire. My dad's like, I failed you, <laughs> right? Like, these are the things we got to do. Okay, last one. Timothy and St. Timothy and St. Paul. So I saw this one as the consulting, right? That how would have how would it have been if all, how do I? Sure, we'll keep it there. I don't know. Um, how would it have been if all St. Paul did was be a consultant to St. Timothy? St. Timothy is just in charge of the city, and oh, he only calls on St. Paul when he has a problem. Right. How do I get it to show up in blue, Sharif? Oh, perfect. Oh, got it. All right, cool. He was in charge of a city, and then? Like only call to uh, call St. Paul when he has a problem. Right, and say, hey, there's a fight, right? Or the people aren't listening. What do I do, right? And St. Paul just, hey, here's a five-step plan. Get them in order. Spread the word. Here we are, right? Um, what are ways where we fall into consultants and not coaches as parents? Perhaps when we're in a rush and we don't have that time mm-hmm. to be present. Mm-hmm. So when they're just like, how do I do this, right? And we're just like, oh, this is how you do it. Great, right? But we don't really teach them. It's like that saying, what? Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day and like teach a man a fish and you feed him forever, right? Like we're not preparing them for the next time they see that issue, right? And how does that come back and not help us? kind of in like in sorry I'm not a parent so I took this kind of selfishly they come right back to you they come right back so every single time they have an issue mom dad how do I do this and you're like by the fifth time you're like what are we doing here (laughs) right go figure it out but it's because we didn't take that time to sit there and go okay well here are all the possible ways this could go wrong here's what you're looking for right here's how you're doing it this comes into handy I think when you're like applying for jobs right and it's just like what do I do here what do I do there right? How do I do this? Right? And that's not going to be their first job, right? They're going to keep applying for jobs. So at some point they have to know how to email someone, how to talk to someone. You can't write their email for them, right? Um, What are, so I know the importance of coaching for, yes, yes, please. Yes, because this is actually a very important point because some parents they like that. They they like that their kids keep coming back to them and it's it's like a uh, they like that attachment, mm. but then 
exactly what you said what happens when they're on their own right uh, like the uh, some parents they, they want their kids at home when they go to college they live at home and don't worry my son or my daughter i'll take care of you i'll do your laundry i do everything right and then they they, they get a job in another city or something they don't know how to do anything they don't know how to cook they don't know how to do laundry it's okay when you drive back, bring your dirty laundry and I'll do it for you. And it, it's like it will never end. And this is the, the fault of the parent, that they're not pushing them to do something. Like, mm -hmm. okay, let them do the laundry and, and mess it up. It's okay. It's not the end of the world if they mess up the laundry. Mm -hmm. It's not the end of the world if they, if they try to cook and burn the food, you know? Yeah. Is this being recorded? Yeah. Oh. oh, well. So my brother <laughs> moved into his own apartment in Houston and he was sick or something and we all go visit him and he's got dishes piled up and his dishes are like growing friends like there's stuff <laughs> on the and he's like he's working right he's a working 24 year old man with dishes that have grown pets all right and my mother stands there at the kitchen and like washes his dishes yeah. and then even better she calls me to come and help and I was like no <laughs> If he can pay taxes, he can pay, like, he can wash dishes, right? But it's true. And now, like, you know, if he gets married, I don't want his future wife <laughs> having to sit there and wash all these dishes. And I was just like, no, no, <laughs> we're not doing this. And then I think when I said no, his pride was hurt. And he was just like, I can wash my own dishes. And he, like, kicked my mom out of the kitchen and started washing his own dishes. I was like, good for you. I don't feel bad one bit. <laughs> These are your pets. <laughs> like, I don't need it, right? So I think that's really important. And I think then, like, as the kids get older, like, now, speaking as, like, an older kid, right, I don't go to my parents for every single thing, right? But it's more of, like, all the other stuff, right? We can actually get past the how do you do all these things and just talk about how it went, right? Um, and I think something that uncle said that I appreciate is like when someone's telling you to fix the chairs and then you sit here and go, oh, no, that's not how you do it. No, that's not how you do it. And you do it like that. Right. You don't want to become like that where they don't have their own like expression. Right. And so um, I think once we once you hand everything off, then it becomes really fun for the parents and less work. Really, it helps everyone. <laughs> Just coaching. Um, but that's all I had. All questions can be directed to Uncle. <laughs> Any questions? Cool. Well, I think it's lunchtime. Thank um, you, everyone. Uncle, do you want to pray before we? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for everything concerning everything and in everything. We ask you, Lord, to help us to understand how um, we can uh, prepare our children uh, by by our ourselves becoming better coaches um, by giving them the opportunity to grow by helping them grow by helping them reach their potential and we ask you lord that we ourselves look towards you as our coach and allow you to coach us and allow, uh, allow you to help us grow and reach our potential. We ask this through the intercessions of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Mark, St. Paul, and all the saints. Hear us, Lord, when we pray together, saying, 
our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen.